Good morning, everyone. Um, today's Bible reading um, is from Old Testament Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. That's in page 724 in your Bibles. Um, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. We are going to read from 1 Peter, chapter 5, 1 to 14. That's page 1222 in your Bibles. One Peter chapter five. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Morning, all. Uh, my name is Andy, and I'm a pastor here, and it's great uh, for us to be together. Um, we didn't quite finish the end off. I can read that now. By Silvanius, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at always chosen sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, it's the end of the letter. Uh, we've had a, a, our term together last, I don't know how many weeks it's been, eight weeks or something, together in 1 Peter. And it really has shown for us what it's actually really like to live as a Christian, hasn't it? It's kind of given us the right expectation. It's ridiculously hard. It can be ridiculously hard and tough. You know, we thought about what it's like to be a Christian in the workplace, in our homes, in marriages, uh, in our living situations. And Peter has shown us that our experience, that it's hard, he's shown us why it's hard, and more than just why it's hard, but he's shown us why it is well worth it, why it is far to live. And, you know, at the heart, his reason is because... How does he describe us? He describes us as foreigners. Uh, we're aliens living in an alien world that we don't belong here. Heaven is our home. Uh, last week, our life was described as one that was going through as a fiery trial in chapter 4. Uh, and it's because the world is hostile to Christians because they follow Jesus. I just think it's been such a powerful, timely word from God for us, hasn't it? Now, this section here, this last section, uh, Peter adds more reason why it's going to be tough and hard for us. Uh, it came up in the kids' talk, but he describes Christians as sheep. Did you notice that? Verse 2, he tells the elders, the leaders, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, this isn't the first time he's referred to the Christians as sheep. He's done it back in chapter 2, verse 25, where he says, we all like sheep, uh, we all were straying like sheep. Sorry, I got the Isaiah song in my mind. <laughs> Whenever we say that, start to bar, bar, do bar, bar. We all are straying and we are all sheep, but have a shepherd and overseer of our souls. He's talking about us being strayed, but when we return to Jesus, we return to our shepherd. Now, being described as a sheep obviously isn't that flattering, is it? I don't know if you have much example of uh, being around sheep. My grandpa, he was a farmer, and so we used to, um, 
I, I think my parents used to kind of ditch us at our grandparents, I understand why now, um, for, a, you know, and we used to love on the farm, motorbikes, and we spend our whole time chasing after sheep, because they're sh silly, stupid, they'd always be caught in the fence, you'd be trying to muster, the, you know, you'd be trying to, I don't know what the word is, we'd, we'd be trying to move them from a paddock that had no food and water to a paddock that had food and water, and they never wanted to go to the obvious place. And so we, you know, it was, um, it was always fun, but my grandpa, he had a, you know, he didn't have a lot of um, respect for sheep. There was, he was a Christian, there were all, all sorts of words that would come out of his mouth describing their stupid, silly behaviour. Um, but anyway, um, you know, the, the, the idea of being called a sheep, it's not flattering. Uh, no one would want to be called a sheep. It's the last animal. I'd be afraid to be called a cow. I mean, they're big, strong. Anyway, maybe, maybe not a cow has bad connotations too. But anyway... <laughs> Um, but he, Peter does give us this image that as Christians we're all God's flock, his sheep. But then verse 8, have a look at what he says there. There's a ruin on the hunt too. Verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. See, it's not just hard to be a Christian because the world is opposed to you for following Jesus. What he's saying here is that even more than that, we have an enemy, a fearful enemy, the adversary, the devil, that is out to get us. He's out to get us. How does he devour Christians? Well, his primary aim is to take us away from trusting and following Jesus. He uses sufferings and he wants to lie to us. When suffering and hardships come, he wants us to Instead of kind of turning towards Jesus and pressing into him, he wants us to turn away from him. To think, oh, I don't know if it's worth it. I'm going to walk away from it. Now, what does Peter say to us? What's he going to help us on how we can live as sheep in life? How's he going to help us stay with Christ? Other Easter here is that we have each other. I don't know if you've kind of caught that. But if you just think of yourself as a sheep alone, I think you've kind of missed the point of sheep. They're, kind of, they're a flock of sheep. We, we are together. A single sheep on its own has no hope with a little fox, not to mention a roaring lion. We need each other. We're all together, the flock of God. And what is he... The whole chapter really is about how the whole flock together so we can all stay safe. Now, if I were thinking about writing a letter, finishing a letter to people that were copying it for being a Christian, I'd imagine I'd be saying, you know, toughen up, you know, um, be courageous, muster up some strength, hang in there, you'll get there. But Peter doesn't go that angle at all. He goes, the key thing you've got to do is be humble. Have a look at verse 5 there. It's at the centre of our passage. It says, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, his number one priority for the flock is that they pursue a humble life together. Humility. It's the big thing we need in the midst of persecution. Humility. It's the big thing the church needs to stand firm. Humility, it's the, the thing we all need to press into to survive as sheep 
with a lion prowling around. Now, humility, what are we talking about there? I, I can't remember who said this, but someone said, it's not so much thinking less of yourself, but thinking more of others. Uh, it, you know, humility is about putting others' interests before your own. It's such a countercultural, radical uh, characteristic, isn't it? Which is at heart the key to what it is to be a Christian. Now, Peter, he gives us five pursue humility. On your outline, I have four. I added one last night, so you can thank me later for that. Um, the first one's going to be longer, just as a heads up, but we'll uh, work. So the first point is the church needs humble leaders. Um, see, verse 1, Peter, he writes to the elders that are among you. Now, he's not just talking about those that have had more birthdays, uh, but I think he's talking about those who have responsibility to lead the church, uh, those who have been appointed the, the position and responsibility. Now, elders, they did tend to be older, right? Because, you know, Paul warns us about appoint, like appointing uh, younger converted, but the, they were generally older and wiser, uh, but they were the ones that had responsibilities to lead the church. And notice the way Peter wants to address them. He describes, even the way he describes himself is with humility. He says, as a fellow elder. I mean, he isn't kind of Pope Peter here. He, he isn't kind of the first among equals. No, he's modelling humility to these people here. And what does he call them to do? Verse 2, he says, to the elders, to the leaders, you are to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. And this idea of shepherding the flock uh, is this idea of looking out for, being caring for, uh, taking responsibility for the lost sheep, for leading, for protecting, for caring, for guiding those sheep, those people. And the concept of shepherd comes up time and time again in the Bible. We read one in Isaiah 40 uh, where God is described as the shepherd of his people there. He is the one who tends to his people, his flock. Uh, but God does place under shepherds. And so in the Old Testament, you get uh, leaders of Israel, uh, that's God's people, who were to look after his sheep. Uh, but, you know, time and time again, we hear and read of these leaders, like Ezekiel 34, where they just do a horrific job. They are doing a terrible job of shepherding, looking after people. So God removes them. But then we finally get the ultimate shepherd uh, when Jesus turns up. If you know John 10, you know when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, uh, what does Jesus do? He lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life to feed his sheep. He guards his sheep. He's the ultimate one, the ultimate shepherd, the chief shepherd, the self-sacrificial shepherd who loves and leads and feeds his sheep. Um, now, the interesting thing is, Jesus then goes to set up under shepherds again too. Remember Peter in John 21 at the end after his spectacular fail, right? Peter's just a great boy. I, I just love Peter because I feel like his life, he's constantly putting his foot into it. He means well, but he's constantly getting it wrong. After he kind of denied Jesus three times, um, he has that interaction, you know, where Jesus says, do you love me three times? And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, guard my sheep. Um, ten, my, ten my lambs. So he, what Jesus is doing there is restoring him and saying, Peter, be a shepherd to my sheep. 
look after my sheep as under me. And it's really important that we remember verse 2, that these people that the leaders are to care for, they're not their own. Uh, they're, they're God's flock. They belong to God. Uh, he has entrusted them to the leader's care. Um, you know when people go on holiday who uh, anim- have animals, you know, what do they do? They entrust their precious animals to others. Um, you know, and when... I've ne- never actually been entrusted. Uh, someone, I don't know whether that says something about how responsible I am, uh, but I can imagine you'd freak out, right? You're taking their kind of precious dog, uh, you know, whatever it is. It's one thing for a goldfish to die, you know, uh, pa- perhaps a cat would let a cat die. Right? <laughs> this is the wrong cat lovers in this family. Um, but, you know, when people entrust their precious animals to you, you kind of feel the weight and the huge responsibility. That's what God has done to the leaders. He's saying, these, these are my precious people. I'm entrusting them to you for your care. He's entrusted his flock to his leaders. It's a big task. And he wants them to understand their responsibility and humbly lead and serve the people there. Now, there's three temptations that he goes on uh, to warn them against. Uh, so verse 2, it says, you to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. You know, he's saying, don't lead or serve because you have to, not because you must. It's not a duty that's forced on you, but because you want to. God wants the willing servant, humble leader, not the reluctant. Uh, and there is, it is tempting, I think, uh, to do it just because there's no one else around, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, you look around and you think, oh, I'm going to have to lead the kids or whatever it is, uh, lead, lead the church. And I, I was reflecting, how do you kind of move from that doing it because you have to to doing it because you want to? I think you want to remember Jesus, how he has sacrificially served you, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, remind ourselves of their identity in Christ, you know, that we're precious royal priesthood, and to have that last day in mind, that you want as many people, sheep, to be in Jesus there. Secondly, the, the other temptation of the leader is uh, to lead uh, for shameful gain. He says, don't lead for shameful gain, but eagerly. So he's saying, don't take advantage of your position and responsibility. Now, this shameful gain uh, can be for greedy for money, uh, which, you know, there's plenty of examples where people... Uh, make money out of selling or making money, giving the free gift of grace uh, for financial gain. But I think some other shameful gain can also be that it's for your own respect and honour of, of yourself in a particular tribe or people. And there is nothing more ugly than when you get a whiff of this kind of self-serving leadership, is there? I think it's the kind of thing you can pick up over time when someone, uh, a Christian leader, is more concerned about their own name than Jesus' name, are they more concerned about defending what people think of them rather than defending what they think of Jesus? And Peter warns us, this kind of leadership is terrible for the church and it will tear the church apart and it won't keep us safe as God's flock. So he wants the leaders to humbly serve others eagerly. The third warning he gives is leaders are to shepherd the flock not domineering but being the example so he's saying you don't be a leader on a power trip you know you don't go in it to be kind of the the boss man 
just loves telling people what to do and lording over people. Jesus warns us against that kind of worldly leadership time and time again, doesn't he? You know, in Mark 10, where it talks about the Son of Man, so Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate example of this self-sacrificial service leadership, which the church is to imitate this godly leadership and they're to be examples to the flock that they're there to serve the church, not to be served. Now we're told for this in verse 4, he says, and when the chief received the unfading crown of glory, and it came up in our kids' talk, but it's that glorious image, isn't it, of that last day. Now this, you know, across the rest of the Bible, is not just for leaders, it's actually for all people. In 2 Timothy 4 it says that. It's, a, it's not like a special crown that elders get. Um, but when Jesus returns, everyone who is in Jesus will receive this unfading crown of glory. And he's kind of saying the labour is worth it. Look to that day. Now, uh, who does here at St. Matt's? Well, and who's responsible? Ultimately, the way we work things is Rod is responsible, but he kind of shares responsibility amongst a bunch of other leaders. So I'm one of them, the staff team's another. Uh, here we, we do have elders, uh, and so Tom and Hendry have been responsible uh, for caring for the flock here. And I know that you will witness that how they have led among you. Uh, I've been here just since Easter, and it's been delightful to see their self-sacrificial leadership of you. But it's not just the kind of formal, you know, roles. I think there's also, like we said, there's, there's kids leaders, there's growth group leaders. Uh, you, we all partake in shepherding in some way when we give ourselves for the sake of others and their gospel needs. So, Matt, we need those who humbly shepherd the flock. Uh, that's the first point. It's a bit longer, okay? Second point, uh, he, he, want, he says we need those, the flock, to submit to those those leaders. He's a bit briefer on this one. So verse 5, have a look. He says, likewise, younger, be subject, submit to the elders. Now when he's saying the younger there, I don't think he's simply talking about, you know, the the 18 to 23 year olds uh, or the youth group or whatever. But I think he's, because in context he's talking about church leaders, uh, I think he's talking about uh, those who are under the church leaders at church. Uh, and typically because the elders were older, uh, those that were under the leaders were generally younger. And he says to, to them, be subject to the elders. Humbly submit to church leadership. Now, why does he single out the kind of the younger people in that? They most likely have the most trouble submitting to church authorities. I mean, submission is a thing uh, Peter has been talking about in the whole of the letter, which we all struggle with, but it is a unique, I think, thing for younger people. Uh, I was younger and at the age where I knew everything, like 22, <laughs> I, I was a pain to church leadership. I was just reflecting back this week, um, particularly when I moved from my home church, kind of where I grew up and understood Jesus, to another church where they did things differently, I was just, man, I was, it's embarrassing talking about it, but I would question everything they did. I would kind of think, oh, you know, we had a better way of doing that. And I would tell them. (laughs) 
Um, you know, I would kind of give feedback on all these sorts of things. And, you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking. Now, as I reflect, it's just embarrassing. I wasn't doing it to build them up. I wasn't doing it to, um, you know, help them out for their sake. Uh, it just seemed like I was just on a, you know, on a bent to show how good I was. I don't know what it was. But, uh, you know, and when they didn't listen to my profound wisdom, I think I kind of subtly, maybe not so subtly, under, tried to undermine them. Uh, I remember saying stuff like, I can't follow that guy. I don't know if he's, you know, I can't follow that guy because X, Y, Z, lots of reasons why I can't follow that. But that guy, maybe, yeah. Um, gosh, I was not humbly submitting to my leaders then. And I'm so thankful for their humble leadership that they listened, they cared, they gently rebuked, uh, and they got alongside me and they bared with my young, brash, think I know everything. Uh, you know, friends, ultimately, uh, we all have to submit to the Lord Jesus and his words. So it's not a blanket pass to leaders, like, to, you know, it's not just a go for it to every leader. We all submit to Jesus. But Peter is saying, the rest church, humbly submit to your elders and let them lead you. Uh, the third churches is we all need to exist together in humility. Uh, we need to exist together in humility. Have a look at um, verse 5b there. It says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he's kind of had a word for the elders. He's gone for uh, the younger ones. And now there's here's something for all of us. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. Uh, this language of clothing is literally to take off pride and to put on humility. Here is God's dress code. Uh, humility will always be in. Uh, it won't ever go out of fashion. It won't come back around in 30 years. Oh, that was, I remember that. No, it's always in with God. This is what he's on about. It doesn't mean, you know, the clothing to kind of be, put it on as though, you know, and appear as though you're humble. No, he says, put humility on from the inside out, from the heart. Now, this is not easy, is it? This is not easy. It's not natural for us. So naturally, I want to live for the cause of Andy. I want to live for the cause of myself. But if I am to clothe myself with humility, I want to set aside my own cause for the sake and the good of others. Ultimately, I want to live for the cause of Jesus. So what does it mean to clothe yourselves? Well, it means thinking of others more highly than yourself. You're more concerned about other people's growth in Jesus than your own comfort. Uh, you're more concerned about your others' salvation than your own needs. Uh, you're willing to forbear things that are just awkward and weird and difficult in others. You're willing to forgive in humility. See, why is humility so important? Well, verse 5, it's because it's who God is. See, it's a quote from Proverbs here. God always opposes the proud, but always gives grace to the humble. See, if you want to be right with God, it requires humility. It's, it requires supernatural humility, actually, because it's the, the ability to see yourselves rightly and to see your own heart, to see your own sin, that means that before a holy God, you have no hope. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're not, you can't hide it from him, you can't fix it, 
Uh, you, you just have to humbly own it and throw yourself on the mercy of God. And you know, it's only the humble that will do that, isn't it? Uh, it's only the humble that will come under the mercy and grace of God. See, ultimately, uh, pride at its heart is to conclude, the ultimate form of pride is to conclude that you don't need God. You know, you're kind of a self-reliant, self-made man. Uh, and the proud person is blind to their own needs. And it says here that God will oppose that person. He'll oppose them for being proudly pushing God away. At the end of the day, you cannot be a Christian and be proud. You need to recognise that you're a sinner. You need to depend entirely upon the grace of God. And when you do, you will know that free mercy and grace that God gives you. See, being humble is at core what it means to be a Christian, what it means to receive salvation with respect to God. But it's also the dress code of how we relate to each other as sheep. Genuine humility is what we need in the church. In God's flock, pride is cancer. And the cure is humility towards each other. The secret is humbly submitting to God's mighty hand. This is my next point, but point four. Uh, God's flock needs to exist in humble, prayerful trust. Verse six, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? I don't know if you're into memorising scripture, but that's one you put in the memory bank. Cast your, all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. God cares for you more than you know. See, it is our anxieties and our insecurities that can weigh so heavily upon us, isn't it? So they can take up all our mental space, all our energy, and so we don't have any ability to think outside of ourselves or others. But hear this, God is asking you to throw them on him, to throw them on him because he cares for you. He has a mighty hand who is able to deal with your anxieties and insecurities your deepest, darkest worries. Throw them to him for him to care for you. See, what concerns are you still holding on to? What are you still lugging around, trying to bear yourself? See, the secret to living well in lion territory is to cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. To trust him in all those things that make us feel insecure. And let's not let our insecurities stop us from being a healthy flock. Okay, finally, fifthly, uh, we need to be a church that resists the enemy. Uh, verse 8, there is an enemy, uh, the devil, and he longs for our pride and our insecurities to weaken us. Verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering have been expressed by your brotherhood throughout the world. We have an enemy, friends. We have an enemy. Peter wants us to be alert, awake to that reality. His name is the devil, and he is a roaring lion prowling around. Now, the issue, I think, for me, 
as, I don't think I feel the weight of a, you know, a line prowling around. Like, I know mentally that that's a dangerous thing, right? I get it. I don't, but we just don't have lines prowling around here. Uh, but I reckon if he was writing to us, he would say, we have a great white shark, you know, <laughs> prowling around the water looking for someone to devour. Now, that thought to me is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I remember um, when I was surfing up at Hungry Head, just north of Crescent Head, um, the, a mate was we surfing, a mate yelled out, shark, right? And I was in. I, I was out of there. It, you know, someone just said that, it was like, um, no hanging around, no risking it, no kind of thinking, I'll get one more wave of surf pumping. No, nah, I was just, I was in on the sand. Um, and the next day, so we didn't go back out that day, the next day we came back because it was pumping again. Uh, but I tell you, when I went out there, I was on like high alert. You know, every kind of black-ish object, it was like, you know, you're, you're in any kind of noise or some little splash out to sea, you're kind of like glancing out and you're kind of, did you see that? Like, uh, that I think is what it means for us to be watchful, to be sober-minded. We are sheep in lion territory. We are people in shark territory. Know that you're in danger. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Let's not muck around with this. Let's not take the risk and think it won't happen to me. The devil will destroy our faith. He will use suffering and persecutions to do it. And, G- and, uh, and he will do whatever means he can. Jesus says that our pleasures and worries can destroy our faith too. Now what's the devil's strategy? I would be so afraid there's nothing to do. Well, I think his strategy, he's the father of lies, isn't he? That's how he's described. And so he will tell us the opposite to the, the reality of the truth of who God is. You know, he would say, that little voice would say, God doesn't care about you, Amy. God doesn't care about you. He isn't mighty and able to do something for you. You can't trust him. He isn't trustworthy. Why would you be humble before God? You can look after yourself. Protect yourself. He's not in control. You can do a better job at it. He won't help you. Make sure you get yourself sorted. So instead of humbling ourselves before God and trusting to him, the devil wants us to take it on ourselves, to ignore God and be proud and not turn to Jesus. Friends, we are sheep in lion's territory. We need to entrust ourselves to God, but we also need each other. We need good, humble leaders. We need to submit to those leaders. We need to live in humility towards each other. We need to live humbly, prayerfully, trusting God, and we need to resist the enemy. Humility is the key, and pride is the killer. I'm going to finish with this, though. How is it at all possible to live this out? How is it at all possible for us to have this radical mindset I think it's only possible to have this radical mindset if you know that your future hope, eternity, is so secure in Christ that it means you can live now humbly entrusting all things and serving others in this world. This kind of radical mindset is only able if we know that we have that secure future in Christ. See, the whole way through this chapter, Peter keeps kind of going there. I don't know if you noticed it, He keeps dropping this reality into all the reasons, so how secure our eternity is. 
And he wants us to lift our eyes there. Verse 4, you know, as he's talking to the elders, he says that God, you know, that the crown of glory, that future crown of glory that awaits you. In verse 6, he says um, that he will exalt you at the proper time. Verse 10, have a look at verse 10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, that is while on earth, the God has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 7, we're to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Friends, how is it possible to live that life? Because you know that your future is secure in Christ and he won't fail you. He cannot fail you. Your future glory is absolutely certain. This is the true grace of God. Friends, let's stand firm in it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our future glory being certain in Jesus. Thank you for your Son who served us to the point of death and secured our forgiveness, our life and our eternal future. Thanks, Father, for this hope that can never be taken away from us. Father, we pray that in light of this future reality, in light of your grace towards us in Jesus, that we would indeed be humble and follow the way of our Saviour today, that we would live lives wisely as flocks among lions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to keep.